Hey guys. Yeah, that's loud. All right. So as most of you hopefully have noticed, I'm not Will. I know, right? The Butterfields are on a trip. They have a, uh, uh, a thing in Las Vegas that they are at, so the whole family's there kind of enjoying their time. So we're going to let them relax and enjoy that, that time together. So I am supposed to be preaching this morning. Will asked me to do that. Um, but I think that Leah and Callie and Myra and Kara and Lizzie and Will have already preached my sermon. Um, I, I think you'll see that as we get into the scripture and what God, I think, has for us this week, that it's not just something that God spoke to me, but it's something God is speaking to all of you. Um, I had to giggle several times because the songs are on point, Callie was on point, uh, what God has done in y'all's lives are on point with what he's been teaching me. Um, so before we, we get into the word this morning, I want to remind us of two things that, that Will has said over and over in the last however long uh, that he's been going through James. Number one, true faith. True faith grows within us and true faith is revealed through us in the ways that we relate to those people, to everyone around us. And the second one is a quote, I don't even remember who said it, but it hit me when Will said it and I've heard it in my mind so many times, is that we are saved through faith alone, but that kind of faith is never alone. And that is sort of the message of James, that though we're saved through faith alone, that faith is going to reveal itself in how we uh, interact with the world and with God. And since it's been two weeks since Will preached, last week, you know, we had Glenn giving a network update. I want to kind of recap what Will spoke about. Uh, He was preaching in James 4, verses 11 and 12, about our words. Um, And our words are important, right? That was the gist of it. Um, The things that we say or maybe the things that we don't say affect not only our relationships with other people, but also our relationship with God. Um, And James wants all of his readers to know that the way we speak to others um, reveals what we believe about God and what God wants to say to them. So sometimes we need to say things, sometimes we don't need to say things, right? Um, Also, when we, I'm going to try not to read the whole time, guys. I'm just going to say that. Um, I've got my computer up here and I've got lots of notes written, but I'm going to try not to read the whole time. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will take this and and get it through in a way where I'm not reading it. Um, So... Not only are our words important and how we speak or don't speak to others, but also um, the chances that pop up for us to criticize or judge other people, it's important that we avoid those, right? If, if we are going to love other people, then sometimes things will pop up and we might have an emotional response to something that somebody has said or somebody has done, but it's important that we trust the Spirit to love uh, through us and the things that we say or don't say, Right? Um, but when we do that, when we criticize and when we judge, that puts us as a judger of the law. Um, and James says there's only one lawgiver and he is the judge of that law. And what is the law that he gives us? Um, Jesus says it in Mark chapter 12, 30 and 31. You can put that one up, Anna. Mark 12, 30 and 31. So love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second uh, is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. So 
That is the law that Christ gives us, to love God and to love our neighbor. And again, John 13, 34 and 35, uh, he says this, I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, right? So if we love one another with our words, the world will know who God is. And they will know that we are Christ's representative to the world by the way we speak. Alex gave a great testimony of a man that spoke to Alex, that saw Alex and spoke to him in ways that revealed he was a disciple of Jesus probably before he said he was, right? He had that attention and those words that showed Alex love. Um, and the Bible calls us over and over to be different, right? So they, James is here telling us we need to be different in the way we speak or don't speak to people so that the world can see God's love. Um, so that is, uh, whenever we have that emotional response that I mentioned before, again, that's the way of the world, that's the way of our flesh, but God wants us to be different, right? And one way to do that is in the way we speak. So Let's uh, go ahead and get into what we've got for today. James continues to talk about words, um, and that's my first point, which is just a continuation of Will's last week, what we say matters. Um, James is all about words. Go back and look. You've probably forgotten. Go back and read James again. I'll just throw out a few quick, really quick things that James said about our words. In chapter 1, don't say, I am being tempted by God, right? Don't say that. And then he says later in chapter 1, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Um, again in chapter 1, if anyone thinks himself religious yet does not bridle his tongue, his religion is worthless. Watch the things you say, right? Let's let our words be loving to those around us. Chapter 2, don't say to the rich man when he's talking about showing favoritism. Don't say to the rich man, you sit here, and say to the poor man, you sit here. Again in chapter 2, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Right? So we should speak as though God is loving us with that law, those commandments that he gave us to love God and to love others. Right? We are to speak um, in a way that keeps with those commands. So, Again, in chapter 2, and we're going to come back to this one later on, um, but if someone comes to you and is in need, and you say, go in peace, be warm and be filled, right? You're saying something, but it's not being backed up with, with the goods, right? So let's use our words to love people. Chapter 3, the whole chapter, right? The tongue is a fire. That is all about the things we say. And then what Will talked about two weeks ago, uh, don't speak against your brother, so James continues this idea of watching how we speak and um, being loving and showing what our faith is, letting our faith be revealed in the way we speak. So James 4, 13 through 17, come now, you who say, right? We're talking about how we speak. Today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. 
But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. So I'm not a preacher, all right? Let's, let's, I know we've already dived into this, but I want to get that out of the way. I didn't sit down and have some idea because I've been trained as a preacher, but God gave me three very specific points. I found that they were very preachery points, right? So this first one is how we speak matters. What we say matters. So James is saying, don't make these great plans and don't boast about these plans because you have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, this is what we will do, right? We need to depend on God, like Myra spoke about, right? We need to depend on God when we do whatever it is that we plan to do or whatever God has called us to do. Um, So I want to go back a little bit in James to talk about um, who he's talking to, exactly what's going on, the things that he's pulling into the scripture. Um, You know, he says, we're going to go to this city and, you know, we'll live there for a year and make lots of money. That was common for Jewish merchants, right? That was kind of their thing because they might not have work in this city, so they'll go to another city. Um, But James... He's not just writing his letter to them. He says he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, right? He's talking to everybody. And um, he wants everybody to know at the beginning of his letter that rich, poor doesn't matter. Death is the great equalizer, right? And I would feel ashamed if I got up here and didn't mention Ecclesiastes and Russ. (laughs) Russ would probably kick me in the pants. So death is the great equalizer. That is one of the messages of Ecclesiastes, right? It doesn't matter how much wisdom you have, how little wisdom, how much money, how little money. It doesn't matter where you're born. None of that matters because it's all the same in God's economy, right? So James 1, 9 through 11, he kind of talks about that. He says uh, in verse 9, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because we will pa- he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich will wither away while pursuing his activities. Rich or poor, it doesn't matter, right? So James is saying in chapter 4, look, rich guys, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, just like the poor people don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, right? doesn't matter how much money you have business plans, personal plans, it's all the same. So don't boast about those things. And whenever I read this, I was immediately brought back to chapter two, where he says, um, if someone comes to you in need, don't say, "Be it, go at peace, be warm and be filled. And I'm wondering if this is the same type of people that he's talking to. The ones that have their plans and they are so set on what they're gonna do that they don't see the need that's in front of them, right? Like, go, go your way, I'm cool, I'm going to go over here and make all this money, right? Um, so I'm, my mind was immediately brought back to that because James here is talking to both groups, right? So the things we say should show love, right? And we can't boast about what's going to happen because the only certainty is death, right? And that always seems kind of morbid to me. But even in the songs this morning, right, 
Um, at the end, what was that one? I don't fear what happens in the night because life is after. There you go. Right there. Thanks, David, for that. Um, so, uh, Proverbs 27.1 says the same thing. Don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow might bring or what a day might bring. James isn't saying something new. He's not giving them something revolutionary. He's saying, don't boast. <laughs> don't do it, all right? We need to use our words in a way that will bring glory to God and love other people. So when we boast about our plans, right? When we say, look, I've got this awesome business venture. I'm gonna go, uh, you know, I'm gonna go to another state and another city and I'm gonna make all this money. Who's getting the glory, right? We're getting the glory, not God. So just like two weeks ago when Will was talking about judging other people, when we judge other people and that sets us above the law, right, we're getting that glory because we're saying we're better than that person and God doesn't get the glory for that. So again, our words should bring glory to God and love those around us. So when we're looking at that uh, the audience that he has then, that James had then, the Jewish Christians, and then us today. I, I'm not sure if this was exactly how James meant this, but whenever I think of this, whenever I have somebody boasting, just imagine that you've got somebody that doesn't have a lot of money and then a wealthy business owner boasting about what they're going to do. Again, they're saying that they have the glory and they've got it all figured out. So what does that say to the person that doesn't have a lot of money, right? They're saying, well, I need to get some plan together. I need to do this thing. I need to make all this money. Maybe I should go to another state and, or another city and make some money and, and plan all this stuff out. The James is saying, if we are saying those things and boasting about that, we are putting ourselves above God and we are not loving other people. Um, so, Imagine if our conversations, instead of that same situation where we're boasting about what's happened, imagine if our conversations were, hey, this business opportunity came up and I prayed about it and God said that I should do it. What's going to happen? I don't know, but I know God has something for me, right? God gave me this job and God called my family to quit one job and move to Baton Rouge. What, what is that going to look like? Y'all know what that's going to look like? No clue, right? So their plan is they're moving to Baton Rouge, right? Why? Because God told you to do it. And the testimony from that has been amazing, right? Michelle is also about to leave us. As she's shushing children, right? Here. But God has brought this position for Michelle and I think it's going to be awesome. Myra and JJ moved here. God called them to move here, right? This is a different way of looking at planning. And I think some, you know, obviously when we abide, we kind of see this and we're able to use those words. I used to be blown away by Aaron Slater. Most of y'all remember Aaron Slater? Yeah, he was here last week. Polo shirt tucked in, hair immaculate. <laughs> Every time. Um, Aaron used to get up and give testimony of business dealings that God had him in. Aaron owned a business. And every time he got up, 
it would blow my mind because he would talk about some business venture that God told him to do or not do, whatever it was, and it was always involving like millions of dollars or hundreds of thousand dollars, amounts of money that I could not fathom, you know, and here I am like praying about what I should do with my measly amount of money, and he's talking about millions of dollars, and it always, always brought glory to God because he would say, God said do this thing, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God said to do it, and it's going to be amazing. Whether I lose a million dollars or whether I gain a million dollars, it doesn't matter to him, right? The outcome didn't matter because God said to do it. And through his words, he was not boasting about what type of business dealings he was having. He was saying, God told me to do this, and I'm going to do it in his business dealings. So God got the glory for that, and the body everybody around him got to see that testimony of how God spoke and whatever God was going to do. So God uses us where we are, right? The zeros after the dollar sign between me and Aaron didn't matter, right? Whether it's $200 or $2 million, God uses us where we are. And he speaks to us in ways that affect our life and affect the relationships of those around us and bring glory to him. So I also want to point out that sometimes reading this, um, it seems a little bit like James is splitting hairs. It says, you know, what you should say is, if the Lord wills, I will do this. Oh, well, let's just add that to the front of every sentence and we'll be okay, right? That's not what James is saying. James, if you go back in James's letter, even in chapter 3, he calls making our own plan, or in, in this passage, excuse me, he calls making our own plans evil. Um, I think it's in verse 14. Let me get back to it. Um, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And in chapter 3, he talks about the wisdom that is earthly, right? This selfish ambition is earthly and natural and demonic, right? Whenever we boast about the things that we're doing. So instead, if we abide and see what God's doing, and when we speak those things to other people, that is when God gets the glory. And this selfish ambition to say, look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go live for a year, and I'm going to make lots of money that is evil because we are putting ourselves above God whenever we talk, right? And it's also completely opposite of the way Jesus lived his life, right? In John 5:19, Jesus says, "I can only do what I see the Father do." Right? I do whatever I see God doing. I don't make these great plans. Even though God had a plan, that's totally different than our plans, right? And even Paul, in his letters to the Romans and the Corinthians, he says, hey, I'm going to come to you if the Lord wills. Or if God permits, I'll go that way. Or I meant to do this, but God hindered me. He always prefaced his plans with, this is what I want to do, but I'm going to do what God tells me to do. So if God wills it, I'll be there. Um, He also says later on that I boast only in the cross of Christ right? Not in his own plans or anything else. So there you go. Don't boast. So not only 
is what we say and how we say it. Not only do those things matter, but how we plan matters, right? I mean, this, is, this whole passage of James is about planning. And James is not saying don't plan. He's not saying planning is a bad thing, right? We need plans sometimes, right? What is a diaper bag <laughs> but a plan? You're planning for whatever's going to happen, right? When we're at school, we've got all of our books because we have planned to have these classes, right? When we go to work, we have plans, which we'll talk about that in just a minute. So he's not saying that we shouldn't just get rid of all plans, right? But how we plan reveals what we believe about God. Um, Jesus knew that planning was a part of life, right? Uh, let's look at Luke 14, verses 27 through 33. Jesus kind of mentions or kind of talks about two things here, and I want to talk about the planning part that he talks about first, and then later we'll talk about something else. So first he says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, will not first sit down and decide if he is able to, with 10,000, to oppose the one who's co who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, everyone who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. And that last verse, I always feel like, was thrown in there completely randomly. <laughs> But it ties, it definitely ties it in, and we'll look at that in just a second. So Jesus gives two examples of planning here because he knows planning is a part of life, right? You don't build a house, you don't go to war without counting the cost, the time it's going to take, how much manpower is needed, etc. All of these things, right? That is part of life. Jesus knew it, James knew it, right? He's, again, he's not telling us not to plan, but he's telling us that our true faith will reveal itself in our plans. So I had an issue come up this week, and, you know, you've heard the phrase, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Man, God, it's not mysterious, right? This morning, the songs, the testimonies, the things that he's been teaching me all week, God, it's not mysterious, right? He's telling us, hey, I want you guys to learn this, right? And I want to show it to you in your lives. So this week... Um, I was talking with a buddy of mine. I'm taking a motorcycle trip with him next week. And we had originally planned to be gone this coming Thursday through next Sunday. Some stuff came up, and kind of to make a long story short, we ended up changing some things so that we would leave Wednesday at noon and come back Saturday night. And I was like, yeah, that's going to be awesome. That'll actually work out better. You know, I'll be here for Sunday. And the next morning, I sit down and I start, you know, having my quiet time and praying. And God was like, did you even, did you even ask me? about making these plans or changing these? And I was like, well, I am now. <laughs> what, what, what do you want? And uh, very specifically, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you at church Wednesday night. And why, I don't know. But he, he told me, I want you there Wednesday night. It's okay if you're gone Sunday. Worship will happen whether you play drums or not. And I was like, really? Like, that, that's what you want? Like, I, you're, 
So it's okay that I go on the motorcycle trip, but I need to be there Wednesday. And God was like, yeah, that's what I want. Okay, all right, Lord. Now what he's going to do, I don't know. Was it good? Was it just for an illustration? I don't know. I think God wants me there for whatever reason for the kids on Wednesday night. Whatever it is, I don't know. And I might never know, and that's okay, right? Because God said to do it. Now we've adjusted our plans. We'll be gone Thursday through Sunday. Um, but obedience is success in our planning, right? To quote the great Talitha Watley, obedience is success. In our, plan, in our words, in our plans, that is part of abiding. Two weeks ago, Will told a story about having to replace the hard drive on his computer at work and losing four days, four days of work. That's pretty big, right? His plans for that week were shot. But in those four days, he was able to allow God to show him how to invest in this other person that he ended up being with for four days, working on his hard drive. He allowed God to adjust his plans because he was abiding, staying close to the Lord. And he was able to, like he said last week, some people would say things, and he was able to speak truth and peace and love, you know, around instead of criticizing or judging. He was able to do that, and he was able to allow God to adjust his plans. So when we make plans, having God be a part of our plans, of course, is important, but also allowing God to adjust our plans is important. That's part of abiding, always being there with God and allowing him to reveal himself in how we plan things. So he wants to be Lord, right? He doesn't just want to be with us. Um, I watched a sermon this week by Francis Chan. If you've never read any Francis Chan or listened to any sermons, look him up. He's phenomenal. Um, but in this sermon, part of it, he talked about the Lordship of Christ. And he gave an example he was talking to some students. He gave an example of how God wants to be Lord in our lives. And his example was you're driving down the road in your car and you see Jesus on the side of the road and you're like, hey, yeah, why don't you join me, right, on my, on my path that I'm going on and you throw Jesus in the trunk. And then later on down the road of your life, you're going and you get a flat tire. So you pop the trunk and get Jesus out and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm going on but I've got this problem and I need you to solve it. I need you to fix this thing so that I can get on with my life. That's not who Jesus is, all right? Jesus is not our tire fixer or our genie, right? And it's not even enough that we, instead of the trunk, we put him in the back seat and we toss him our MapQuest printout and we say, this is where I'm going, Lord, check it out. It's pretty awesome, right? This is where, where I'm going. He doesn't, want, he doesn't even want to be in the passenger seat in the front controlling the radio he wants the keys he wants to be the one driving our life bringing us where he wants us to go he doesn't want to be any other place but that he wants to be lord of our life not just a part of our life right and that's what james is saying here if the lord wills his will is to be the lord of our life so let him be the Lord of your life, right? Don't make these great plans. You don't know what's going to happen, but he does. So let him make your plans or let him adjust your plans if they need to. So in the passage in Luke, the first verse is, can't be my disciple if you don't take up your cross um, 
And then the last passage is, you have to renounce all of your possessions, right? Again, that seems kind of just stuck in there, right? But that's the cost that Jesus is talking about, right? You have to count the cost if you're going to be his disciple, if you're going to let him be Lord of your life, if you're going to let him love people through you in your words, if you're going to let him love people through you and love God through you in the way you make your plans, you have to count the cost. So renouncing your possessions, giving up your rights, that is allowing him to be Lord, right? And I don't think that Jesus was telling them, just go throw everything away, just get rid of it. No, but what do you do with those things? What do you plan with those things, the things that you have? How are you loving God with those things? So, point number three, my good preachery points, right? How we respond matters, okay? So how we speak matters. James is saying, don't say all of the things that you're going to do. Instead, trust God and say, if God wills, this is what I want to happen, right? And trust God in our plans. When we make our plans, God, be Lord of my life. Take me where you want me to go. Take me to another city. Let, let me stay here, whatever, whatever you want. Or when you make plans, allow God to be Lord and change those things. And when he does change those, it's important that we respond correctly. James 4.17, right? This is another one of those punch in the gut thrown in there to me. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. In this story that I had this week on my motorcycle trip, I very easily could have said, no, let's just keep it Wednesday through Saturday, right? But when God told me, I want you there Wednesday, it's okay that you miss Sunday, it would have been sin for me to say, nah, I want to go Wednesday to Saturday, right? I knew the good. I knew what God told me to do, so I obeyed, right? And that, that success, whatever happens after that. So whenever God gives us something to do, I think Will said it this way, we should prefer his will. We should prefer the things that God gives us to do. Why should we prefer those things, right? God is good. But it's not just that God is good. He is always good. Always. 100% of the time, beginning of time, end of time, doesn't matter when it is, God is always good. So when he tells us to do something or when he gives us something to do or say, we can trust that it is good for us, right? So when he gives us something to do and we don't do it, that's sin, right? That's control of our own life. That is putting ourselves above the law or above God or above others whenever we know what God says and we don't do it. So it should be, should be a no-brainer when God says something. But when we make our own plans, when we have our own ideas of how things should go, that gets really difficult, right, to allow God to come in. So Jesus um, did some things. Jesus did a lot of things. But John tells a story of something that Jesus did, uh, healing a man born blind. And I want to go to this passage. It's in John 9, verse 30 through 41. And this is the end. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I'm going to read some more after this. 
But this is about a response to what Jesus did and the things that Jesus said and how plans um, can blind us to that. So this is the man uh, that was healed, that was, uh, his blindness was cured. He says, this is an amazing thing, the man told them. He's speaking to the Pharisees. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. He's speaking the things that God did in his life. He's giving his testimony of how awesome God is. And what's their response? You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out. That's their response to the amazing thing that God did. So Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him? In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. I want to stop right there for just a second, and I want to point out two things so far in this scripture. The abiding cycle. God does something awesome in a person's life, right? And he gives testimony of what God does. And then God gives him a crisis of belief. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the response is, who is he that I may believe? And when Jesus says, I am he, he believes and he worships, right? And then God is like, all right, hold on just a second, right? And the next thing, right here, what the last part that Jesus says, I came into the world for judgment, Oftentimes, Jesus says things to us that are meant for other people. And if we do not speak those things, or if we do not allow God to get those things out, then they won't receive the blessing, or we won't see God's glory. So, Jesus said that, obviously not meant for the blind man, right? He means this for the Pharisees. So some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. They had their whole life planned out. They had studied the scriptures, right, all through their life, and they knew everything, and they were the leaders, the religious leaders. Some sinner's not going to tell them what God does, right? And when God says, If you were blind, you would not have sin, but you have it all planned out and you know everything and you have not left God any room to speak. Your sin remains. So their response to what amazing things God is doing around them is not love to God and is not love to the blind man, right? They speak harsh words and kick him out. Their words were not what God would have us speak. Their plans were not what God would have them plan, and their response to God was not what it should be. So, um, they had everything figured out. And again, Jesus is speaking to them, and he's like, 
Look, you think you have it, but you don't. This is what I want. I want to love people, right? I want to heal this man. I want everyone to see my glory and know the Father because of the things that I do. But he keeps going. This is the end of chapter 9. Chapter 10 picks up, and I imagine this conversation just still going. So chapter 10 of John, verse 1 through 5, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. I think we had some shepherd references this morning, right? The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of the strangers. So, imagine Jesus is still talking to these Pharisees, right? They don't know your voice. They know my voice because I just did something awesome, right? He now has true faith because I've healed him and he knows me and he hears my voice. Jesus goes on in John 10. I'm not going to read all the scripture. I feel like I've thrown a whole lot of scripture in there today, but God just kept bringing this stuff in. Um, So on in John 10, Jesus tells us that he is the gate and he is the shepherd. So we only get in the sheep pen through the gate, right? That is our entrance into salvation. That is our true faith, right? We go through that gate. That's all we got to do. That is faith alone, right? All the things that, that God has been speaking through will, that faith alone saves us. But then when we're outside of the pen, when we're out in the world, Jesus goes before us, right? He wants to be Lord of our life. He wants to be our shepherd. He goes before us and he tells us what he wants our plans to be if we listen. So when we're out there, we have to listen and we have to respond in the way that Jesus teaches us to respond. So here when James says, it's sin to know the good and to not do it. For those sheep out in the field, if they hear their master's voice and they go somewhere else, that's death for them, right? Because they're going to be away from the sheepfold and they're going to be vulnerable. But when we hear God's voice and we do what he says, he takes care of us. And that is the fruit, right, when we hear his voice and do what he says. We have that faith alone, just like the the quote that Will has been saying. Faith alone saves us, but faith that saves us is never alone. So God lets us enter through the gate in faith. But when we're in the world, the fruit, the evidence of that faith is when we hear his voice and do what he says. When we respond accordingly to the things that he says. So the transformation that happens in us, because we have walked through the gate, because we have trusted Christ for our salvation, is made evident when we obey, when we know what is good and when we do it. A few days ago, uh, in my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers says this. This was on September 20th, so less than two weeks ago. Um, The true expression of Christian character is not in good doing, but in God-likeness. If the Spirit of God has transformed you within you will exhibit divine characteristics in your life, not just good human characteristics. 
So not just this imitation of wisdom that comes from the earth, like James says earlier, right? It's not this good planning that's going to make us lots of money. It's not this good planning on how to build a successful church, right? It's allowing God to lead us. It's allowing the spirit within us to say things that are loving and love people and how we speak. It's allowing God to come into us and invade our planning and be Lord of our life to guide us where we go and what we do and allow him to adjust plans as needed. And it's also um, evident when we respond accordingly, right? When God gives us a plan or gives us a word, how do we respond? So all of the testimonies this morning were about God leading and guiding and using our words or others' words to bless us. Um, So Kara with our neighbor, our neighbor came to Kara because she knew she loved her because Kara had spoken so many good words to her and she knew that Kara would not fuss at her and, and whip her, right? She knew that she would find love there. And that's why she came to her. So, if we have true faith, it will reveal itself in what we say, how we make plans, and how we respond to God. So, I hope that God spoke to you guys this morning. Obviously, God is already speaking through you and to you throughout the week in the things that he's brought in your life. Um, I know this week it was pretty... um, pretty powerful for me, especially whenever God spoke to me about my own trip. It's like he's saying, are you getting this? Are you getting what I want for you? So that's all I have. Let's pray. And then Ben will come back up. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for men like James that knew you and were bold enough to say, hey, people of God, this is what it looks like if you have faith. If you trust Jesus, this is what your life will look like. God, thank you for giving us um, your spirit to discern things that happen in our lives and how we can love people. God, thank you so much for speaking the same things, not just to me, but also to this body. It proves again that you are an amazing God and that you love us. God, I pray that today and throughout this week, you will take this message of our words and our plans and our response to you, and you will put them in practice. God, and you will help us to love those around us so that they can see your glory. Um, Like Peter says, that they would see the things that we say and how we live our lives and what you're doing in our lives, and they will give you glory uh, because you are good. God, thank you so much for being amazing.